The reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just brought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be with you today as we look at that passage uh, together. When Philip North was appointed Bishop of Sheffield last week, he said that there was a number that kept him awake at night. It was the number 92, or to be more precise, 92%, because he said that was the population of this country who claimed no knowledge of Christ. Got me thinking... Why is it that only 8% of the population are willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm sure that for some, that the reason would be ignorance. Uh, they've never really heard of him, so how on earth are they ever going to follow him? I'm sure that there'd be many like me when I went off to university. I would have ticked the Church of England box on the census, but I'd never read a gospel account for myself. I'd never really engaged with the claims uh, for Christ. But even among those who have heard a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ, why do so few follow him? A good friend gave me his answer last summer. He'd been thinking about Christian stuff, he said, for about a decade on and off, believe it or not. And he said that there was no way he could walk away from uh, the Christianity with which he'd been brought up. But at the same time, he just couldn't seem to commit to it. He couldn't bring himself to live wholeheartedly for Christ. Well, why was that? Well, he was very honest. He said that because in his heart, he believed that what Christ offered was somehow less valuable, less enriching, less fulfilling than what he already had in life. My guess is my friend is not alone. 
that you may know people who could relate to him. You may even be here today and say you could relate to that point of view. But we think I'm pretty happy with life as it is, so why should I hand over control to someone else, especially someone who lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away? And that's why I think it's great today that we're focusing in on the greatest invitation, one that comes in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to see that what Christ offers is infinitely more valuable, infinitely more satisfying and wonderful than anything in the world. So much so that each of us will want to respond to it with all of our heart and mind. At first notice, Christ wants us to see the best invitation we will ever receive. Uh, Look down to verse 16. A man once hosted, we're told, a great banquet. Uh, Later, that man turns out to be the owner of the house. He's clearly the figure in the story who most closely represents God. And notice, will you, he's a generous host. Straight away, I think that challenges a common caricature of the Christian life. I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking that uh, Christianity was an altogether dull and dreary thing. It seemed to be all about hard pews, clergy and funny dresses, and services full of mumbo-jumbo. It all looked so dull. But the idea of a great banquet reminds us that the Christian life is not something to be endured, like, I don't know, this could be encroaching on private grief, an all-night Brexit debate, or or a cross-country run. The Christian life is something to be enjoyed. You see, Christ doesn't deny the sense of anticipation of the man who says in verse 15, it will be wonderful in heaven. Notice Jesus says, yes, it will. The story here is full of hints that he fills out elsewhere in Luke's gospel of forgiveness and life and friendship, of pardon and peace and purpose. So please cast out of your mind any images you might have of us sitting on clouds wearing nighties and laurel wreaths, playing a harp for all eternity. No, Christ says we're to think of God throwing a party instead. A great banquet. I don't know if you've ever thought of heaven like that. It's an image that would have been immediately familiar to Jesus' first Jewish hearers. They would have thought of Isaiah's wonderful promise of a heavenly banquet of rich food and well-aged wine. Uh, Just as we're thinking it'd be hard to compete with dinner at Le Manoir, perhaps, or Heston Blumenthal, or quaffing a glass or two of the finest Chateau Petrus. Isaiah goes on to say there is one item on God's banquet menu that beats any human feast. That's far better than any Michelin-starred chef could produce. Isaiah says, the Lord will swallow up death in victory. He will wipe away tears from all faces. You see, the Lord wants us to imagine how good it would be to be at a party at which the host doesn't just serve up great food and wine, but goes on to swallow up the shroud of death itself. Seeing someone die is grim, isn't it? In the last few years, I've seen friends bury their fathers. I've seen a good mate bury his wife. And perhaps most painfully watched a couple bury their baby daughter. We can't live long, can we, without being reminded that whatever it is we work for in life, whatever it is we strive for, whatever it is we achieve, the place where we all end up is in a wooden box 
with handles on the side and a small brass nameplate on top. Death is like an awful veil or shroud that smothers up even the finest of lives. I think of the city man a few years ago who asked to see me. As he arrived, everything about him smacked of influence and wealth. But as he told me his story of a doctor's appointment he'd just been to where cancer had been confirmed, giving him months rather than years to live, I could smell the drink. I could sense the fear. I could see the tears. I could hear the sobs. All his success meant nothing in the face of death. And so when God says, when I throw my party, I will swallow up death forever, it really is the best invitation we could ever receive. And did you notice that as the passage was being read, what's so great about this invitation is that it isn't simply for a select few, the religious elite, the house of bishops or something like that. No, far from it. The Lord wants us to see that amazingly we're all invited. Did you notice that in verse 21? He sends his servant into the streets to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. The very people that they were tempted to exclude from their dinner parties back in verse 13. In verse 22, he sends the servant out again to make people come in. He will not waste the food. He wants to share it. You see, that is the heart of the Christian faith. A generous host extending the most wonderful of invitations. To anyone and to everyone to come to the party. Tears and death are not invited, but we are. It will be great. You know the way it is when you get an invitation. I, but there are some that you get, oh no, I don't know what it is for you. Uh, the Tax Institute's Christmas drinks, or the local vicar's cheese and wine, or something like that, and the invitation goes straight in the bin. There are others, aren't there? It could be a wider family gathering. And you know deep down you probably ought to go, but you also know deep down you'd love to have an excuse to miss it. And so you start ringing around, trying to get something else in the diary so that you can send your apologies. But there are some invitations, aren't there, that we get. A, bo- a corporate box at Twickenham on Saturday as we thrash the Welsh. Uh, tea with Her Majesty the Queen to celebrate her sapphire jubilee. And we think to ourselves, I wouldn't miss that for the I'm definitely going to be there. I guess it would go pride of place on the mantelpiece, wouldn't it? Well, what about this invitation? One from God himself to a perfect world without tears and without death. How highly would you prize that invitation? It's so good you think it was impossible for anyone ever to refuse it. But incredibly, Jesus says people do. And they do so with the worst excuses we'll ever hear. That's the second thing to notice. At the worst excuses we'll ever hear. Glance down to verse 17, would you? At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. You see, in those days, you sent a double invitation. You sent the, the initial invitation, to kind of save the date, as it were. Do you want to come to a party? And uh, because time was elastic and they didn't have watches and banquets took time to prepare, On the strength of the number of positive replies, you then went out and killed or bought the meat. It was expensive, and so you had to get your numbers right. And then you sent a second invitation to tell everyone it was now ready. 
Uh, come, the food's ready. It's not going to keep. We don't have refrigeration, so drop everything and come to the party. Make it a priority. Do you see, once you committed to going, it was inconceivable that anyone would pull out except for the most dire of emergencies. And yet, amazingly, some people do. But the excuses themselves, I don't think, are that important. What matters, did you notice, is that they're all flimsy. Verse 18, I've just bought a field, I must go and see it. I've just done a deal, I must go and see what sort of deal I've done. I'm afraid it's going to be the same sort of deal in the morning as it is in the evening. Uh, It's not just rude, actually it's insulting. Because nobody in those days would buy a field without knowing every square inch of it like the palm of their hand. I guess the modern day equivalent would be one of your best mates blowing you out for your 50th birthday bash because... Well, he says he's just bought a house via eBay without looking at the pictures. It would be inconceivable. The second excuse is no better, is it? Verse 19, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I must go and uh, check them out. I don't know if there's ever been a select committee hearing on what you need to look out for in buying oxen. I doubt it. Let me tell you what you need to look out for. You need to check that they pull in the same direction. And so nobody would ever buy a a yoke of oxen without test driving them beforehand. Which is why you have the market square and a field behind it so you could try them out and make sure they didn't head off in different uh, directions. It was nonsense. And in any way, they'd be there after the banquet. You see, why couldn't he come? I guess today it would be like phoning home. Uh, Hello, darling, I I know we we said we'd go out for dinner for our wedding anniversary tonight, but I just bought a car and I need to take it for a spin. Where do you think I'd be sleeping tonight? On the sofa, if I'm lucky? The third excuse seems more acceptable, doesn't it? At first glance, verse 20, I've just married a wife, I must go and see what sort of wife I've married. It sounds okay because we know that in Israel, a man was exempt from military service for a year after he was married. So he could settle into family life, have some children in case he was killed in conflict. And so the man says, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. But here's the issue. The Lord is inviting him to a banquet, not a battle. And with the generosity of this host, why not bring her along too? Do you see what's going on? Whether it's personal or business or family matters, the same underlying issue is going on. The invitation has a very low priority. I found something more important to do, he said. He's saying, your party doesn't matter to me, ultimately, because you don't matter to me. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. I know I could. Growing up, why didn't I bother with Christian things? Because I had other plans to pursue, other goals to achieve that I thought were more important. Girls to chase, jobs to get, success to achieve. But all along, it hadn't dawned on me that I'd been ignoring the best invitation I could ever receive. Living as if God didn't really matter. Can you understand the owner's frustration, verse 21? We can understand why he sends the invitation out to the, the, the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame instead. And we can imagine how those people would respond to such an invitation. You're inviting us to this great banquet. They would be overwhelmed by the generosity of the host, by the graciousness of the invitation. They would definitely come. Do you see that compelling mixture? First, verse 23, there's that generous determination of God that every seat be full at the banquet. 
But then verse 24, there's that resolute anger with those who spurn the invitation. Do Jesus' stories always have a happy ending? Not according to verse 24. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The Lord is telling people who presume upon God, who make the fatal assumption of assuming they'll get into heaven, You've had your chance. It's not vindictive, is it? It's fair. Those whom God rejects are those who reject God. Do you hear the warning? There will be those who miss out. The invitation will go to those with nothing to offer. Those who simply humble themselves and accept God's gracious gift. God has prepared a rich banquet and he says, come. It has all been prepared for us. It's all been provided by God. It is free for you and me, but we mustn't make the mistake of assuming, therefore, it's cheap. A great friend of mine was executor last year to his mother's estate. Uh, she'd left uh, gifts for all her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, pieces of uh, china and glass and silver she'd collected over the decades. And David had to go round and see all the grandchildren the great-grandchildren, sit down with them, and he said he made a point of saying to them, Look, here's the gift. This is free for you. But don't assume it's cheap. Don't forget it's very precious because it comes with the love of a grandmother or a great-grandmother. God's salvation is free for us, but it isn't cheap. Before we get to the end of the Gospel, we see that it costs the life of God's only Son, Jesus who died for people like you and me. And so as we think about how we might RSVP, to that invitation. Remember, it's very precious. Hear the warning about procrastination. The banquet will still take place, even if we make excuses for not attending. C.S. Lewis famously tells the story in the Screwtape Letters, doesn't he, of those three devils having their final examination before they're let out into the world to tempt people away from following Christ. He says, how will you do it? first devil fronts up and he says, I'll tell people there's no God. The tutor says, well, you might fool one or two people in ivory towers, people like Richard Dawkins, but most people know that there is a God. Uh, That's probably a third class degree. The second one says, I won't tell people there's no God. I'll tell people there's no sin and therefore there's nothing to worry about. The tutor says, well, you'll fool one or two arrogant people, but anyone who reads the newspapers... Anyone who looks in the mirror knows there's something wrong. You won't get very far with that one. That's probably a 2-2. The third one gets awarded a first. Because he responds, I won't tell people there's no God. I won't tell people there's no sin. I'll tell people there's no rush. There's no hurry. Just put it off a little bit longer. Our parable today warns us it is possible to leave it to you. I guess many here today will be keen Christians. And notice the challenge for us. It is a reminder about our priorities, isn't it? What are these people doing who are making excuses? The first chap with his field, it looks as if he's making his property, his possessions, his number one priority. They're taking over, aren't they? Instead of enjoying those things with thankfulness to God, it's easy to become materialistic, isn't it? Uh, The second uh, chap with his oxen, well, he's like Christians whose career or job takes priority. And their Christian life becomes just a hobby. 
I don't miss him. He work is great. And the work and the service that you're engaged, engaged in has particular benefit for your constituents and others. Work is great. But whether we're Christian plumbers or politicians, we're Christian first and foremost, aren't we? And then third, notice that person. I guess his priority was his family. There are wonderful things about family, aren't there? But perhaps not if they take the place that God ought to have. They become an idol. You see Jesus' challenge for all of us? Does this heavenly banquet fill our, our horizon? Or do, have other things begun to crowd it out? It really is the best invitation we could ever receive. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonder of the gospel message. For the richness of your invitation to be with you in a perfect new world without sickness, without suffering and without sin. Please open our eyes to see the precious nature of that invitation and to respond to it with repentance and faith. For we ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.